Seems like there's some magic associated with January 1st. There's a new beginning, a new page, a turning of a new leaf, a new chapter in your life. We often begin the new year, we see it as an opportunity to begin with a new commitment. We call those resolutions. I resolve to fill in the blank. And many of us take those opportunities to resolve to do better. Resolve to be more healthy. Resolve to cut out some of those desserts. Resolve to exercise. And, and really, when we think of those resolutions, we think of, these are good things. These are things I really need to be considering. But if there's simply a thought of, hey, that would be a good thing for me to do, you will lack the commitment to see it through. And that's why in the U.S., about 65% of the resolutions have already been tossed to the wayside two weeks into the new year. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we all have good intentions on the first day. But my question is, what will be different this year? What will be different in your walk with Christ this year? And this is a time that we would set aside and say, it is the beginning of a new year. It is a new page. How will I be more intentional with my walk with Christ this year? And see, if we are not intentional, it will not happen. So why not start today? Why not begin today of being intentional with your walk with Christ? This morning, as already been mentioned, we begin a series called Becoming a Great Church. Now, this leads up to our revival at the beginning of February. Now, I mentioned this a couple of months ago. I said, mark your calendars right now. Block out the time from Sunday to Wednesday. And I wrote down the date so I wouldn't... February 5th through February 8th, Sunday through Wednesday at 6 o'clock. We're going to have revival. Tom Richter, Dr. Tom Richter from First Baptist Coleman will be leading us. Uh, each of those evenings, and I pray that you'll be here. This will be a culmination of what we're learning over the next few weeks about becoming a great church. Now, this Becoming a Great Church series is not just haphazard. It's not something that we say, hey, this would be really good for the beginning of the new year. This connects all the way back to May of last year. The very first sermon I began a series on, on what the church is. How did we originate? What was the purpose? What are we supposed to be doing? And that led into the, the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, where we could evaluate where we were individually and corporately with what God was saying through Jesus in the book of Revelation. And that led us into how God speaks and how God speaks to his church. And we put all those foundationally to this point, and now we're asking, how do we become a great church? Not saying that we're not great, not saying that we haven't been great. How do we become great today? We understand that through beginning well together that we will understand the Lord's vision for his church. And when we understand the Lord's vision for his church, we collectively can follow his vision. 
And we, we put all ministries into that category of following him. So what makes a good church? What makes a great church? I want to give you three non-negotiables this morning of being and becoming a great church. When I was in the insurance industry, we often had sales trainings, and it was inevitable. Whoever was speaking or whoever was leading the training, they would look at you at the end and said, this is non-negotiable. And what that meant was you don't have to make the decision of whether to do it or not. This was a requirement. If you want to keep your job, this is a non-negotiable. You must do this. So I want to give you three non-negotiables this morning to being a great church. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew, three different places this morning. The book of Matthew, and if you're following along in your outline this morning, the first one is the great confession. The great confession, and we find this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How would we answer Jesus' question today? If he just showed up and said, hey, who are people saying I am? And we could, we could give some answers. Let me give you a few answers. I'm, I'm pretty confident we would get these answers in our community today. Oh, Jesus, oh, he, was a, he was a good prophet. He was a great teacher. He was a religious man. He's a safety net. He's a crutch for the weak. He's a magic genie in heaven that if you say the right prayer in the right way, with the right words, you get what you want. He's someone who helps us get out of trouble when we get ourselves into trouble. And some would even say, oh, he's one of many ways to heaven. The disciples said, well, they're saying you're John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus asked the most important question. Listen to the question. Who do you say I am? See, it really doesn't matter what everyone else is saying. Who do you say I am? It's now personal. And we cannot miss this point. Jesus did not ask, hey, who do you think I am? He said, who do you say that I am? Who are you telling people I am. Saying is being vocal. 
What is your verbal confession about me? The implication here is that Jesus expects his followers to be vocal about him. His followers, you and me. Well, Peter responded, he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And despite what some may think, Christ is not his last name. It's a title. Christ, the Messiah, God the Son, the divine Savior. This is who he is. And Jesus replied, you didn't figure that on on your own, Peter. No, this is a revelation from God that you would know this about me. See, this is how we become followers of Jesus. Not because we have someone who is persuasive. Not that we have someone who who is preaching a sermon or teaching a Bible study. or Not that we said some prayer after someone else. That's not how we become a follower of Christ. We become a follower of Christ when, when God reveals truth to us and we respond to him. That's the only way anyone is saved. Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, I'll just say, there's some that misinterpret that passage to mean that Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. And and they've held Peter up to, to a much higher standard, a saintly standard, far above anyone else because of this particular passage. But if we look at the context, we look, look at the Greek that's used in this, in this passage, Peter means rock or stone. Whereas the rock that's used there, the Greek word for that is bedrock or foundation. So what Jesus is saying here is, Peter, you are a stone that I will place on the foundation of the confession you just made. And I will build my church. Do you see what's happening here? Peter is a component and the same component as you and I. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, we become stones that are placed on the common foundation of the confession of the revelation of God concerning Jesus Christ. And that is how he builds his church. From that foundation, the foundation of of the revelation of God, of who Jesus is, we become what he has designed us to be. we, We have so much experience in church. Different experiences, different backgrounds, perhaps different faiths. In the past, we've learned hard lessons. We've learned good lessons. We have, we've learned to walk with Christ. We've learned what not to do to walk with Christ. But it's not about what we think is best. It's not about what has worked in the past or what we think might work in the future or what worked in the, the business sector and it would probably work out here also. What is most important is the foundation of who Jesus is. Jesus is the head of the church. We are the servants of the head. Therefore, he dictates who we are. He dictates the vision. He, he enables us to accomplish what he has called us to do. 
We're not a covey of people who get together and say, hey, what do you think God would be pleased with? What do you, what's a good idea? Well, well, let's try something new. See, that's stepping away from what God's asking us to do or what he's commanded us to do. Jesus then transitions from what the confession is. The confession is that Jesus is the Christ to what our confession does. So when we live out our confession, the gates of hell cannot withstand God's truth. Now, that does not mean that the gates of hell are attacking us on all sides and our only defense is the strength of the word of God. It means we are invading Satan's territory with the word of God for which he has no defense and that God will rescue those who will respond to his revelation. What a privilege we have. What a command we have been given. So the first non-negotiable principle is that each of us believes God's revelation and takes the message of Christ into enemy territory. So I would ask you this as we close up the first First principle, are you being vocal about who Jesus is outside these walls? See, that's the expectation that Jesus has for his church. Number two, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22 Verses 33 through 40. So in your outline, this is the great commandment. The great commandment. Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, the the religious leaders were threatened by Jesus, but they were also curious about him. They heard things, they saw things. He he was putting dampers on what they were teaching. So they came to him to test him about the commands of God. Now, just for your reference, if you want to look at the Ten Commandments, you would go to Exodus chapter 20. And as you read through the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments deal with your relationship to God. The remaining six commandments are your relationship with God with other people. So Jesus, when asked, though they were trying to trap him, he brilliantly summed up all the commands of the Old Testament with just two. Love God fully with all that you are and love your neighbors as you love yourself. If you're not relating to God properly, you cannot relate to others properly 
And if you are having difficulty relating to others properly, it signifies a deeper issue of your relationship with God. This is the way it is. If you have a good relationship with God, you will have a good relationship with people. That's within the body of Christ as well as outside the body of Christ. Since we have the record of Jesus' answer here, we are not permitted to, to determine what we think is most important. I'm sure we would have a variety of answers if I said, what is the most important verse in all God's word? What's the most important command in all of God's word? And we would all have our own favorite command. Likely it would be a command that you're already doing. But we don't have the privilege of dictating which command is the best because Jesus already told us. So our only recourse is to evaluate how we are doing with the things Jesus said to do. He said to love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our minds. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Do I love God fully with everything that I am, every moment that I am? Do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Now, if we are truthful, we have good days where we're doing pretty good at this. But being honest, we can say this, I'm incapable. I'm incapable of loving God fully because I'm human. And I'm incapable of loving my neighbor. Have you met my neighbor? That was not a personal question, by the way. (laughs) I have great neighbors. (laughs) This is where the good news is good news. Because we cannot do this on our own. He's not telling us, okay, you're a follower of mine, do the best you can. Go out and love people the best you can. He's not saying that. See, in Galatians 3.24 it says, the law in the commands that is a guardian or they are a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So only as we realize our sinfulness and only as we realize our weakness and our hopelessness can we then turn to Christ in faith and rely on him fully for salvation. But likewise, we have to rely on him fully to obey what he said. Despite what we may think, God is not sending us out to fail. He's not giving us a list of things that we cannot do to watch us fail. He enables us to accomplish that which he has commanded us. He has given us the Holy Spirit, which is his power within us, his presence within us to accomplish the very things that he says that we must do. Therefore, we must rely on him completely in order to accomplish that which he has commanded us. Our greatest expression of love to God is to set our hearts and our lives toward obeying him. This this has to be an intentional effort. And, And it begins today. 
How will 2023 be different? I want to set my heart. I want to set my gaze. I want to set my life to be in his presence. I want to follow him. And I want to do everything that I can, everything that God has given me, all the tools and all the people around me to accomplish this. I have to be intentional. It will not happen. The second thing, our greatest expression of love to our neighbors is telling them the good news of great joy that is for all people. That's our greatest expression of love. love. Yes, we can take in their trash can. Yes, we can get their mail. Yes, we can mow their grass. We can be nice. We can hold doors open for people. But we're not loving them if we're not telling them about Jesus Christ. Jesus is clear in this. We have to be intentional. If we're not intentional about telling people about Christ, it will not happen. Just as God adopted us into his family and calls us his children, his intention, his desire is the same for our neighbors. For those that we come in contact with, for those that we find difficult, his desire is the same for them as it is for you. The second non-negotiable principle is loving God fully and others as ourselves. Number three, the great confession. I'm the great commission. This is number three, the great commission. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And in your outline, the great commission. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So after God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus sent a message to the disciples to meet him on a mountain in Galilee. And so as we follow this passage, the disciples showed up. And even though they worshipped the resurrected Christ, there were some who doubted. There were some who were just not sure that he was real. But Jesus clarified his identity and he clarified his position by saying this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now think about that. All authority. All authority where? All authority where? In heaven and on earth. That's all authority. That's the entirety of authority. Now, something you, you might not know about me, I do not drive around seeing what laws I can break. However, I saw a sign that said police jurisdiction. And I thought, If I was being chased by a police, and if somehow I could cross that line 
right there of jurisdiction would I escape? Not that I'm trying to do that. But the thought occurred. There's a sign there for a reason. Can I make it to the other side and say, sorry, I'm out of your jurisdiction. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That means his jurisdiction is everywhere. You cannot escape the jurisdiction of the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Even in Boaz, Alabama. With that authority, he looked at his disciples And he commanded them to go and make disciples of all nations. That authority to go and make disciples of all nations. His disciples were to make disciples as they go. See, going is natural. You, you go home, you go to work, you go to the store, you go to the game, you go shopping, you go on vacation, you go to school, you go to practice. But do you go with God's intention? Are you on mission with God as you go? You see, if we're honest with ourselves, that's probably not our first thought. Where our first thought is getting done what we need to get done. Being where we need to be. Accomplishing what we're supposed to accomplish. Getting the time in where we're supposed to be. But God said, as you're doing all of this, all of this stuff in your life, as you are going, make disciples. Be on my mission with my power, with my authority to do what I have commanded you to do. As you go, God says, do the thing for which my power and my authority has been ordained. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples wherever you are. Make disciples wherever you are going. Interestingly, the word that Jesus used for disciple means to be a disciple and to make disciples. So in this community, related that you cannot separate one from the other. That means you cannot follow Jesus without making disciples. You can't make disciples without following Jesus. And we have our reasons for not making disciples. I've said them. You've probably said them. I'm busy. I don't have the resources or I just don't know how to make disciples or or I'm not really far enough in my walk to teach anybody anything. I'm, I'm just trying to make it on my own. But thankfully, Jesus provides the answer. He says in this command, as you follow me, I will provide the authority. And I will provide the authority and and the power required to make disciples. So what does that mean for you and me today? What does it mean for 2023? Can we honestly say that we're following Jesus if we're not making disciples? I'm not asking for your opinion. Because 
we were just told by Jesus. See, Jesus said, if you follow me, you will make disciples. We could even go to John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. That's discipleship. You will do this. Frankly, if you and I are too busy to follow Jesus making disciples, we have committed our lives to the wrong things. If we're committing our lives to the wrong things, how can we expect to live in the blessing of God? If we're headed in the wrong direction, how can we expect to be growing in the the very thing that God established? How will he build on his church if his church is in rebellion against him? Our mindsets must be intentional about the things that he has commanded us to do. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, it's saying you're deceiving yourself if you... Claim a relationship with God, but you're not doing what he says you should do. Jesus said we are to make disciples of all nations. Why would he give us a mission that is so vast? Because it's unattainable for me personally. But what are we to do in this? We understand that it's a vast mission because the good news is great joy for all people. And that is our mission. We have received the message by the revelation of God and now we're to give that message to others that he might reveal himself to others. So how do we make disciples? And Jesus gives us a little clarification here. We make disciples, and and really if we put this into a summation, we make disciples by declaring the great confession intentionally and living out the great commandments intentionally that provides opportunities for us to practice the great commission intentionally. Those who respond to God's revelation need help in walking with Christ and growing in their relationship with Christ, understanding how to apply the principles of God's word to their lives, just like you and me. So the first steps of obedience for every believer is a public confession and baptism. And a baptism is simply a testimony. And after that, we have a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus, every one of us. And we're on that journey together. So the Lord said this, teach new believers. What should we teach them? He tells us here in his word, teach them. Everything God commanded, who? Teach them everything God commanded you. See, it'd be real easy for us to not follow God, but tell others, you know what you need to do? You need to go, you need to do this. You need to go make disciples of all nations. Well, are you doing that? Well, no, I'm teaching you that you're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. You need to share your faith with other people. Are you sharing your faith with other people? No, I'm teaching people how to share faith with other people. You see what we do?
You may have heard the phrase, do as I say, not as I do. That does not work with discipleship. You see, we, we teach what we know and we know what we do. And if you argue with yourself, well, I'm just not to the point yet that I can really teach somebody how to live like Christ because I'm still figuring it out for myself. Do you have any victory in your life? Any whatsoever in, in any part of your life? Are you having victory where you're applying a principle of God to your life? And if the answer is yes, then that is an element where you can teach someone else. You don't have to get all your ducks in a row to be a discipler. You teach what you know because you're living it out. By teaching other disciples what God has commanded us, we will be teaching them to make disciples who make disciples and so on. Becomes an exponential factor rather than a simple addition. God builds his church. The third non-negotiable principle is making disciples as you go. My confession is this. I want to be part of a great church. But I know that that is a requirement that I must meet as well. I have to make the commitment. I have to make the sacrifice. I have to make the contribution. I have to do that to be part of a great church. My question this morning is, do you want to be a part of a great church as well? We must be intentional of our very next step. We must be committed together to do what Jesus said to do to be a great church. We can't do it any other way. We can't look back and say, well, this happened before, it didn't work before, or this happened before and it worked before. We can't look at those things. What is God saying today? To be a great church, what must you do together? And as we look at this and we understand it's being a great church, it's not a they thing. Well, the church is sharing the gospel and the church is making disciples. What are you doing? Because you are part of the church. This is a personal question. Am I being vocal about who Jesus is? That's part of being a great church. Is all of us collectively doing this together? Do you love God and your neighbor fully? Are you relying upon Jesus to accomplish that which he has commanded you? What steps will you take today to make this a commitment in your life? Because if we're not committing to do that and sacrificing what is required to follow him, we're not following him. And if we're not following him, what would our reasonable expectation to be? Would it be God's blessings bountifully upon us? Or would we wait and wonder why he's not moving? See, God adds to his church. And if we are a body of believers who are not following the fundamentals of what he has commanded us, why would he want a new believer to follow that structure? We must be the ambassador of Christ. Are you making disciples as you go? If you're not, 
What changes today to begin a journey of becoming a great church? 2023, I am convinced, can be the best year yet, but not best by our standards, but God's best. And there's no better place to be than God's best. So my question is, we come to a point of of response, is what is God calling you to do? We know what he's commanded us to do, and, and we get to evaluate now, am I being faithful to what he's commanded? And if I'm not being faithful to what he's commanded, what is the step I must take today, January 1st, 2023, to walk with Jesus this year intentionally? What is it he's calling? Maybe you're here today and and you know a lot about Jesus. You know the stories of the Bible. You've been faithful in attendance, but you have never surrendered your life to the authority of Jesus Christ. And if you have not surrendered to the authority of Jesus Christ, you do not know him as Savior. And you certainly don't know him as Lord. January 1st, 2023, what a great first step it would be to say my life is his. I lay it all down. I surrender all. And if that is your commitment today, we would love to celebrate with you. We would love to pray with you. We would love to disciple you in a walk that glorifies God. I'm going to ask Ryan and Mike to come up as they lead us in a time of invitation. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we're going to stand and sing and we're going to respond to the, the word of God, to his revelation to you and to me. Let's pray together. Lord, I am thankful for the clarity of your word. You have not left it up to us to figure out, but you have revealed the truth to us. You've not only given us the commands of what it takes to be a great church, but you have also enabled us with your presence and your power through the Holy Spirit. I thank you for him. I thank you for your love, for caring for us. And I know that unless you draw us, that it would simply be an effort on our part. And we are so feeble and weak. Our efforts amount to nothing. Lord, we fully rely upon you. We, re, we empty ourselves in your presence. Lord, asking you to, to fill us, to control us, that we would be the people that you have commanded us to be, that we would represent you well in our communities, in our households. Lord, may you be glorified this morning as we respond to your revelation, becoming a great church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing. The altar is open. And I'm here if you need me.